Uh, good evening to you all again. Uh, welcome and uh, thank you for joining us. We have a uh, packed house tonight and we are of course uh, grateful and thrilled by it. Before I start, uh, may I ask uh, Advocate Vusipi Kali, uh, please give him a round of applause. He's here. Advocate, please join us uh, in front. He drove all the way from uh, Pretoria and his visa expires at 8 o'clock tonight. So uh, we must just make sure he, he crosses the YXK by, by no later than 8.15. Uh, also uh, co-hosting um, the event tonight um, and, and I'm thrilled that uh, we're working again with Professor Patrick O'Brien, the Dean of Law, uh, but the person that will do the honors on behalf of the uh, law faculty, Professor David de Villiers. Prof, please join us in front. Advocate, may I remind you that, uh, you know, you no longer sort of in the pre-1994 activist age, you don't have to sit on the far left. You should start on far left. If you want to take a more center position, you are more than welcome. Okay, so let me, uh, this thing is clearly a bit loud, right? Or oh, I'm loud, sorry. Let me on behalf of uh, Dr. Rukeya Bauer and her excellent team uh, uh, in the UJ Library, uh, on behalf of Professor Patrick O'Brien and the Faculty of Law, uh, and on behalf of uh, my boss, Viwekoti, yes, you heard right, I report to the secretary. She clearly r runs the office, I just take instructions from her. But on behalf of the uh, Sarchi Chair for uh, African Diplomacy and Foreign Policy, and let me also on behalf of the Vice-Chancellor and members of the MEC uh, welcome you tonight. The Vice-Chancellor uh, just had a brief word with the Advocate. He can't join us tonight. Uh, he's just dealing with a, uh, an important uh, family matter, but the Vice-Chancellor was going to join us. Uh, I, I see colleagues from the Faculty of Lawyer. Welcome to you all and thanks for partnering with us, Professor George Berry. You clearly don't want to go get old, but the former dean himself, welcome. Um, and of course, I, I have to single out a veteran uh, of South Africa's uh, uh, liberation struggle, a man who always graces us with his uh, presence, uh, advocate, uh, activist, Mr. Ishmael Kovadia. Thank you, sir. It's always a pleasure to have you here. You are all most welcome. Um, let me just run through the proceedings for tonight. I will do a, I'll try and, and, and uh, summarize what is clearly an impressive uh, CV and an illustrious career on behalf of our highly respected and erudite speaker tonight, Advocate Visi Bikoli. Uh, I'll do uh, an introduction and a word of welcome. Um, Advocate Piccoli will then address us for uh, 25 minutes, or I'll, I'll give him uh, the platform to decide how long he wishes to go, uh, after which Advocate will join uh, Prof. Davi and myself in front for a very interactive uh, chat. So, so what brought us here um, tonight? Uh, I must confess I was a bit jealous when uh, just soon after Advocate Vusipi Kohli launched his, um, his book, his autobiography, uh, a fascinating read, My Second Initiation, uh, the autobiography of Vusipi Kohli, um, came out in October last year and had some fantastic um, launches, book launches. Uh, in Cape Town, I personally attended the one in Santon, and I decided, well, they can't steal UJ's thunder, uh, so I'm going to invite Advocate uh, to come and speak to us as well. 
I should tell you the book is doing exceptionally well. Between October of last year and January uh, of this year alone, the book um, sold 15,000 uh, copies. Now I can tell you, if some of my badly written books could sell so much, <laughs> uh, I would retire and buy some of you out and start my own university. Uh, oh, sorry, sorry, a satellite campus of UJ. Let, let, me, let, me, let me just get, get that right. But um, a well done advocate on, 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 on a splendid uh, book. Let me, let me say a word of introduction uh, about our guest speaker tonight, and, and we're really thrilled and honored to have Advocate Picoli here. Currently, I asked him, so what, what, what are you doing at the moment? Sort of, you know, how, how do you pay the bills? Um, an advocate without hesitation says, uh, I'm a full-time practicing legal activist. Um, sits on a number of boards, just finished a very important uh, exercise with former Constitutional Court Judge uh, Kate O'Regan. I think it's called Advocate the O'Regan Commission, looking at the, um, uh, the very tense relationship between uh, the police and communities, particularly in the Western Cape area. They just finished their report and it's clearly going to make a very important contribution. Advocate sits on a number uh, of boards, including a private sector board, the board um, of the uh, anti-corruption NGO, uh, and I have to single it out because uh, I'm a failed uh, I failed dismally in this respect, so I'm going to single this out. Advocate also serves on the board of Cricket South Africa, so I'm a failed cricketer. You see, if I wasn't here, I would have sort of competed with Dale State, but clearly, uh, you know, there was a time when I was to be built for speed like Dale, but, but now I'm clearly built for comfort, and, and my wife's enjoying that. Um, advocate matriculated at St. John's. Um, College in Umtata, 1974 advocate, um, after which went to uh, Fort Hare uh, to register for a BPROC qualification. Uh, and as with many principled, highly dedicated activists in his last year of studies at Fort Hare, he was expelled, after which he uh, went to Lesotho, finished his studies of BA Law at the University of Lesotho. <coughs> Uh, and after that an LLM at the University of Zimbabwe. Um, very active uh, in, uh, in, in exile politics. Um, comes from a strong uh, black conscious uh, background. Uh, advocate was the first special advisor to the first Minister of Justice in a democratic South Africa, Minister Dalla Omar. Uh, of course, a man who left an indelible mark on South Africa's justice system. Advocate was uh, his special advisor in 1994, after which becoming Deputy Director General in the Department of Justice, followed uh, by being appointed as Director General in the Department of um, Justice. And then, of course, those uh, interesting moments in his life. Only a two and a half year stint or so, but in 2005 was appointed by then President Thabo Mbeki as National Director uh, of Public Prosecutions, just to be suspended in 2007. And I'm sure he's going to tell us <laughs> what exactly happened. In fact, I want to know in particular, advocate, what happened on that flight to Chile? What did you discuss with the President? I mean, you couldn't leave the flight, right? You were mid-air, so if you could share that with us. So, ladies and gentlemen, it's my singular honor, uh, my privilege, and let's give him a, a standing ovation and a round of applause and welcome to UJ, Advocate Vusipi
thank you chris um good evening let me thank the university of johannesburg for this invitation particularly the two faculties faculty of law and the faculty of humanities as well as the the library um let me also acknowledge the presence of my lovely wife who has decided to accompany me from Pretoria. And then of course acknowledge the presence of our veteran, Comrade Ismail Ikubadia. Chris uh, has already acknowledged him. Um, let me acknowledge also the staff the university and the students who are here and all the organizers of this occasion. As a lawyer, you know, one of the first things I was trained in was to stand up, speak up, shut up, <laughs> and sit up. That's what I will do. And also, I'm glad to link up again with uh, Danny, Professor De Villiers, a former prosecutor. It's always good for us to meet from time to time. Um, ethical leadership, responsible leadership. And why do I make a connection between ethical leadership? and the strengthening of our democracy. It's all here. I wish all of us could have this little book in our jackets, lumber jackets, and handbags. I know that uh, most of the time we can Google it, you know. But I think every household needs to have this little book. The Constitution. Um, one of the best documents that this country has ever produced post-1994. It does not mean that it's the perfect document. It does not mean that it's untouchable. It has been amended several times. But if we were to look at the following provisions of this document, chapter 1, it lays down who we are as a country, what our aspirations are, how you know we value certain principles of accountability, responsiveness, openness, equality, human dignity, regular elections, system of multi-party government accountability, <coughs> tells you about chapter 2, the Bill of Rights. It's a wonderful document. And perhaps for you to understand why I later took certain decisions in my life, which has all been captured in the book that I co-authored with Mandy Winner, my second initiation, the memoir of Usipikoli. I, some people tend to think that I was born in 2005, when I was appointed as the national director. And my life ended in 2007, when I was suspended. <laughs> I just thought that perhaps I needed to, 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 to share my little story. Um, a story that I hope you know, we'll be able to identify with so that we can make this a better country. So I'll share with you how I grew up, talk about my parents who influenced me as I was growing up. Not in the that's the streets of New Brighton, Port Elizabeth, because our streets were tired. 
when I was born there. You know, um, those early influences um, when I was a choir boy in church, when I joined the Boy Scouts movement on my own, I promised to do my best to do my duty to God and my country and to help other people at all times and to obey the Scout law. All the values that were taught as a, as a Scout helped to shape my outlook. Um, I talk about the early influences at the political level, black, consci black consciousness movement, influenced by the likes of Pani Pijana and Sistimza Pijana in New Brighton. Papeta um, Muhapi, Ukuputso Tiro, Tenji Wemtinso, Professor Harry Nengwengulu, and the number of people. And also what made me join the struggle for national liberation. What pushed me in that direction. Um, my participation at university, what I did, and perhaps didn't do. Um, my life in exile, as a young, impressionable uh, cater of the ANC and Mkondo Wesizo, and a gold military training, coming back for underground operation in South Africa. Um, influenced by the likes of Chris Sandy, Tosamila Porter, Nishon Olomuloi, was a general, a general man. And then, of course, this is a period where, sorry, a period basically pre-liberation. Actual struggle, involvement. I talk about a painful story of Cesar Gondi, very close friend of mine. We went to the initiation school together. We shared a number of painful moments, emotional moments. How I was abducted. He was abducted by the security police in the Sutu, driven to the Eastern Cape. How he was beaten up, tortured, driven to Komati Port in the then Eastern Transvaal, near the Mozambican border. How he was poisoned, shot in the head. They bent him, put his body on a pile of food, whilst they were having rye and beer. People story of Sisukundi. This is a story I wanted also to tell. But also it's a story about how we need to make the necessary connections. The dialectical link before liberation during the process of the struggle, what we were committed to, what we had hoped we would do and come back to South Africa, a liberated South Africa. Leading it up with post-1994 period, where it governed. Um, that's why I say the question of ethical leadership, responsible leadership. Actually, ethics is only mentioned once in our constitution. Section 96, when it deals with the question of uh, the executive, the cabinet. But, but ethics underpin the entire document. And incidentally, the ethics code was signed by our current president. <laughs> you know, um, 
and Kalba signed by the late um, Professor Kalasma. This was in 2000. By the act itself, the members of ethics, you know, um, members of the ethics act was adopted in 1998. Talks about law We've got chapter nine institutions, which are there to strengthen democracy in this country. Well thought out chapter. You have the public protector, you've got the human rights commission, you've got your a commission on gender equality, we have got your commission on uh, language and cultural you know, affairs. We have got the auditor general, you know, a number of institutions. Those institutions were set, were set up to strengthen our democracy in this country. But what is the sole point is that some of them enjoy no respect. Not, not, not members of the public, but the executive, which is supposed to be promoting those institutions. We're sitting here today with the report of the public protector on Inganda. And it's not being acted on. There was a figure, there was a figure attempt towards the end of the term of the last administration to set up an ad hoc committee. And we all know how it was frustrated in terms of actually doing its work. Come the new administration, we haven't had any attempt to try and set up a committee to look at that report. We were sitting in the report of the SAPC, <laughs> where adverse findings have been made by the public protector. And we have a minister recently appointed who has acted against that report. And yet we expect the general public to then respect these institutions that we've set up. It cannot be. Um, perhaps to come to the juicy part of how I was suspended. Um, Members of the executive uh, from the president to the ministers, deputy ministers, premiers, MBCs, on assumption of duty, they are required to take an oath or an affirmation before the assumption of duty. All in allegiance to the Constitution of the Republic. Also, as a national director of public institutions, I had to take an oath of office about my allegiance to the Constitution and the law of the Republic. So when I got instruction, sorry, when I got instruction, which was patently unlawful and unconstitutional. I didn't think twice. I didn't hesitate to disobey it. It was an unlawful instruction because I was being instructed to stop the investigation and intended prosecution of the former National Commission of Police, Mr. Chekisinde. This was coming from the Minister of Justice. Now, it was a no-brainer for me. The Minister has no such powers 
in terms of, of the constitution and the law of the Republic. So I simply had to disobey it. Um, when I was later then asked to, to resign before my actual suspension, I couldn't understand why. Terms of, you know, I was naive and I'm still naive. I couldn't understand why. I said, I can't, why should I? And then the minister said, no, because um, there's no longer trust between you and I. I said, but minister, you know that's not true. And she said to me, you know, it's all about integrity. But I'll talk one day. I'm still waiting for the day that the minister talks, or the former minister, on this issue. So I said, minister, I'm not going to resign. One, because we need a due process. If there's anything wrong that I've done, then there has to be a due process. I can't just resign. Two, I'll be lying to myself and to the nation. Because I'll have to find an excuse why I resigned two years after my appointment. You know, I would resign and then perhaps um, emerge as an ambassador in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> Something that I was not prepared to do. So after that, then I had to have a meeting with the president, who also told me, who said, I understand that uh, you refuse to resign. I said, that's correct, Mr. President. Uh, said, why? I gave the same reasons I gave the minister. Um, he said, even if I were to suspend you, you still not reconsider your position. I said, no, Mr. President, I won't. Um, and then the instruction went out to prepare the letter of suspension. Now, I, I didn't know what I said. So when it was just the two of us sitting, I said, Mr. President, tell me, why are you suspending me? He said, no, because, you see, um, <laughs> different interpretations you want to give people immunity, people whom you think you should prosecute. Um, I said, oh, is that so? You want to enter into plea bargains with people who should not be. I said, well, Mr. President, you are now stating on thin ice, because this is my domain. Even if I take the wrong decisions, allow you to be wrong, because the courts are there to prove me wrong. It's not for the head of state to tell the prosecutor whom to prosecute and whom not to prosecute. It's, it's not an executive function. You see, just to move away a little bit from this one, when I assumed office um, in 2005, there was also a case of members of parliament. Members of parliament who had abused their traveling privileges and they had to be charged. And unfortunately, it happened at the time I was in office, I had to charge them. And I knew most of them, some of them were together in exile. Um, but it, it was a job that had to be done. You know, um, there was sudden pressure to drop the charges. I said, I can't. Prosecutors are powerful people in our society. And if they are to be influenced by anybody, then we do lots of injustice in this country. I should not even be influenced by my wife or by my closest friend. It's not only about politicians. Prosecutors must be insulated from any external influence when they take their decisions. They take their decisions on the basis of the facts. The evidence was there and the law was to be applied. And there's no question of timing to say, no, no, you can't prosecute now, just wait, man. You are going to have a conference. You are going to have a conference. <laughs> Again, have sort of naivety. But for me, you can never have the right 
time. Because there will always be something propping up. Just do what is right. Um, unfortunately, my, my, my term of office, you know, uh, was quite a big one. Because I moved into office at the end of the Shabir Sheikh matter. And Shabir Sheikh was, was found guilty, sentenced to 15 years. And anybody who had read the charge sheet would have said, but I think there's somebody missing here. <laughs> You know, um, so um, I had to look, you know, the judgment, you know, and sat down with my team, and it was a no-brainer, you know, that we had to charge. Uh, the missing one. Yes. <laughs> we had to charge the missing co-accused. And, and, and also, it was not a pleasant task because, you know, uh, Mr. Jacob Zuma was my commander in the exile, was my leader. I had to take a decision. Not on the basis of past associations, but on the basis of the facts in front of me. So I had to be courteous enough to go to his office and to the house. Um, he was the deputy president of the ANC at the time. Uh, I had to go in and, and, and inform him of, of, of the fact that we were going to charge him. Um, I had to bend the head. It was not a pleasant experience, but it had to be done. Um, now, a close friend of mine um, advocated Mwakwamashwadi. Very close. When I got into office, there was a file on my desk that I had to deal with uh, in terms of the charges that he, he was facing. Mwau uh, is the close bra for me. Um, but I, I had called him. I said, bro, you know, to a picture. You know, there's nothing personal. Nothing personal about it, but uh, you know, it's a matter that we've got you know, to deal with. And uh, I hope we've got something you know that will make you get out of this. Um, so the point I'm trying to make here: as a country, we need to to respect our institutions of state. We must never allow this hard fought for freedom and independence to perish because you are afraid of standing up, of speaking up against what is wrong. Colonel Oral Tambo used to tell us that as comrades of this organization, the ANC, we need to distinguish between loyalty to the organization, that is unquestionable loyalty to the organization and unquestioning loyalty. Now, it is unquestioning loyalty that threatens to destroy our democracy in this country. Because unquestioning loyalty allows us to keep quiet when we should speak out. You know, my children, you know, um, say to me all the time, you are exhibiting all the symptoms of an abused wife, a battered wife. <laughs> you don't want to leave this organization, and yet, you know, uh, most of the time we are trapped with the same organization. When I left government, I went to the private sector. Um, but again, I found myself out of the private sector because of political leaving again. Um, the story here is that I never thought I'd ever be a writer. Um, but I think all of us have got little stories to tell. This is 
this is an academic institution. This is where we should be debating issues. We need critical minds that are inquisitive. Critical minds that are fierce in terms of engaging ideas. Whether this then becomes a center of excellence depends firstly on the teaching staff in terms of their commitment to ensuring that this is an institution of excellence. It also depends you know, on the part of the students themselves in terms of engaging them and similar commitment to ensure that we do conduct the research, research that will of benefit to the country. We don't want uncritical minds. We don't want we don't want praise singers. We don't want cheerleaders. Um, we want a free expression of ideas. You know, um, I, I started. I'm not sure how much time I have. I think I've got. I, I, I might have extended my time. You the prosecutor. <laughs> <laughs> you see. I started off, you know, um, about who I am, where I come from. This is what is in the book, you know, talking about my family. You know, you would know that from, you know, the ancient Chinese philosopher, you know, Confucius, who talks about everything starts with two people. You know, happy couple makes happy families and all that. To Karl Marx, who speaks of the family is the basic unit of society. So, so, so then we need to have these foundations in our homes. You know, because our socialization as we interact with our environment shapes us to be who we are. Therefore, we must never, never underestimate the question of parenting. You know? Even when we celebrate all these days, Mother's Days, Father's Days, we have, we have got uh, men who have produced children who are not fathers, who do not know the responsibility of parenting. And, and, and lastly, you know, I just want to come to, to, to the support that you need to give to the public protector in this country. You know? Because amongst other things that she has got to deal with are issues of the mismanagement and misallocation of our resources in this country. And if what we leave to our promise and be true to our promise, so as not to betray the aspirations of our people, then we must make sure that there's proper utilization of our resources. Because once we begin to have symptoms of kleptocracy, where the state itself is looting the public funds, <laughs> Where are these services going to come from? How are we going to be able to deliver on the services? If you speak of a better life for all, then let it be a better life for all, not a better life for some. I spoke too much. Thank you. Thank you, Chair, ladies and gentlemen. Pardon me if I'm not using a microphone because then I'm tempted to sing and I will not pass the first round of idols. If you can all hear me at the back, I'm going to be very short. A few things about ethics and a few things about our honoured speaker, Advocate Vusi Pekoli. I believe, ladies and gentlemen, that we do have a couple of things in common. Our history went different ways. There were very, very dissimilarities, but a couple of similarities. 
We matriculated the same year. And if you look at both of us, you can immediately see, for our age, we're still extremely good looking. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, if my colleague, Prof. Chris, is going to write a successful book, he must first be suspended and fired, and then he will be successful. <laughs> a few things on a more serious note. A very good friend of mine, being a prosecutor for more than 30 years, also launched a book two days ago. And the reason why I refer to that, there are three things about ethics that I need to mention. And the one thing is that Advocate Jan Henning, who retired a couple of years ago, he's extremely ill at the moment, he launched a book, Stories Behind the Gown, 30 Years of Being a Prosecutor. Brilliant stories. But there are also very good lessons about ethics. Ethics in law. Not only eth ethics among leaders, but ethics, ethics among young people. Ethics in law is about right and wrong. It's about the truth and what is false. It's about the Constitution and the interpretation of the Constitution and stand your ground if you're right irrespective of whether it's a minister or a state president. And for that, I would like to applaud Advocate Vusi Pekoli. There's no better way than your former enemies, people that prosecuted under the security laws in the past, will give you a compliment. I had the opportunity to spend some time with people and ask them about Vusi Pekoli. The last couple of days and even before that. In 2004-05, when it became news that the new director of, national director of public prosecutions is about to be advocate Vusi Pekoli, and some of the, the advocates, state advocates that I spoke with said, we are not sure that he's the right guy for the job. He's an administrator, he's the DG, he's a director general, he sits there in an office, what does he know about prosecutions? He did his legal studies in other countries. What does he know about South African law? My very good friend, Professor George Barry, always when we played golf said, this golf course is a golf course's golf course. That man was a prosecutor's prosecutor. <laughs> Advocate Jan Henning said the following when they asked him about the crisis in the criminal justice system and the appointment of a number of other national directors of public prosecutions, acting and appointed people. He started by referring to Advocate Vusi Pekoli. He said, the problems in the National Prosecuting Authority started when Advocate Vusi Pekoli was sacked. That's where it started. The dismissal was unfair to him as a person, but, and this is important, but also unfair to the prosecutorial services. Something else that we do have in common, our loyalty towards law enforcement and the prosecutors. Because this is, ladies and gentlemen, the most important thing for the democracy to stand up if your criminal justice system is working. And this is what that man fought for. And he sacrificed his life. There were other people who complimented him. When the then Deputy Director of Public Prosecutions with the name of Advocate Karen De Beer, who I know for many, many years, was asked to testify at that commission, the Giguala Commission, about the fit and properness of Mr. Vusi Pekoli. And when Advocate Similani was cross-examined by Advocate Wim Trengrove, Karen De Beer said, it's not about Piccoli or Similani, it's about right or wrong. It's about the Constitution and the national legislation that must give effect to the Constitution, the National Prosecutors Authority Act. And the sections, and let me just read two of the sections because it's about ethics as well. 
They said in these two sections, and I'm referring to, to section 32.1a of the National Prosecutions Authority Act. It requires members of the NPA to serve impartially and to exercise, carry out or perform their powers, duties and functions in good faith and without fear, favor or prejudice. Those are the words. I quoted them. And then the very important word and subject only to the Constitution and the law. It's not about politics, it's not about people, it's not about individuals, it's about the rule of law, our constitution that we're very proud of, and how do you apply it. And then the next one, section 32.1b, it prohibits anyone, including the minister and the president, from improperly interfering with the NPA. And that is why he did what he did. And then, ladies and gentlemen, I need to end. Ethics is also about work ethics. And this is my message towards our young students. And I would like to use one example, and this is why I brought this book. And there's the photostat copy of an application for leave. This person wanted to go on honeymoon. It's important. Only seven days. And he applied for leave. But at that stage, that was Jan Henning. And this is about ethics. Jan Henning said, I was about to get married. I applied for leave. But I was the only, we were only two prosecutors at two magistrate districts. They need to close the court if I'm going on leave for seven days. And he applied. And there you have it. And this specific magistrate said, we can't do without you. Seven days. Why do you want to go on honeymoon for seven days? <laughs> and he changed the application. He made the 701. You can go for one day after your wedding. And listen to this. It was unpaid leave. This is the proof. And in the story he said... My work was more important than my honeymoon. I don't think his wife agreed to that. <laughs> and the last thing, ladies and gentlemen, about the ethics. You need to walk the extra mile. You need to make sure what you do is the right thing to do. Not only because the law said so, but because what's right is right and what's wrong is wrong. Ethics is not only amongst leadership because it starts at a very young age. And then you take it with you until you become a leader. Until you become and you've been appointed to be the head of a very important and powerful organization, the prosecutors, the Directorate of Public Prosecutions. I'm not going to mention any other names, but ladies and gentlemen, at the moment our criminal justice system is in a crisis. Nobody can deny it. And I feel very sore when I talk about this because they are very close to my heart. But something must be done. I hope we can just get another Vusi Pekoli. Thank you. Wow, I'm clearly intimidated here by a bunch of prosecutors. So let me show you how much power I have. Like Barry Rue, I put it to the two of you to swap chairs, please. He must sit in the middle and he must sit in the light. I walked into that one, eh? He just called me my lady. Two other things on a very serious note. You heard Prof. Davi started off by saying, the two of them, I was clearly excluded, are exceptionally good-looking men. He said that. Now, just for your information, Prof. Davi, my eight-year-old daughter says her future is bright. She's got a mother's brains, 
and her father's looks. Here comes the cat ball. So eat your heart out. Second one. I leave it up to the brave people like Vusipikoli. For 15,000 um, sales, please don't fire me. Please don't suspend me. As long as my honor students and my second year students buy my book, I'm happy. And I'm okay. <laughs> right. This, this, this was fascinating. This was, this was deep. I, I, I don't think you, you need more proof that not only is Advocate Piccoli a man of deep, uh, of deep principle and conviction, but, but he walks the talk in terms of ethics. He was frank. He touched on very, very sensitive uh, and delicate issues. Um, he pulled no punches. Uh, he's indeed a, a, a brave man. Prof. Davi then just, just rubbed it in, reinforced that, that we need a very strong uh, criminal justice system and our, and our criminal justice system is shaky at the foundations at the moment. There, there's, there's, there's a beautiful narrative that, that runs to, prof, uh, to, to um, um, advocate, almost an ambassador. I wanted to ask you why Saudi Arabia, by the way. I hope it wasn't for the oil, but, but, but we won't go there. But a, a very beautiful narrative running through his memoirs. It is how he grew up with a value system from childhood, reinforced by parents, how those values carried him through the tough times in exile, and how in the post-liberation period, in the age of democracy, he could even tell friends that when it comes to justice, justice must not only prevail, it must be seen to be done. He's paid heavy prices, but um, he's loved to tell the tale. Fascinating indeed. Okay. Keep it crisp. Not crisp, crisp with a P. Short, to the point. Make your intervention, your comment, and uh, Prof, you and I will just uh, interject intermittently, just ask questions, drag out more stuff from, from um, Advocate Piccoli. By the way, uh, uh, Advocate, that trip to Chile, was it to Chile, by the way? Was it to Chile? <laughs> With the former president. I really want to know what you discussed on that play. It was just before the former deputy president was recalled. 